0: Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Helena, and we both work at the MS Trust. Just a little disclaimer, we're still recording this over Zoom because of coronavirus. Uh, so apologies if it sounds a bit iffy at any stage, do bear with us.
1: We'd like to welcome you to our podcast, Multiple Sclerosis, breaking it down And this new episode, which focuses on ethnicity and MS. In this episode, we we'll are taking a look at some of the barriers people of colour may face when diagnosed with a condition that in the past has typically been seen as a white or Caucasian condition. A bit later on, I'll be talking to Natalie, who set up the Black MS Foundation in order to raise awareness and provide a space for black people to discuss their own MS experiences. But first, let's hear a bit of background on who gets MS. So This is some information from our website
0: Um, and there's about 2.5 million people in the world that have got multiple sclerosis and research suggests that the proportion of women with MS is increasing and that roughly between two and three women have MS for every man with the condition. The distribution of MS around the world is uneven and generally the further you travel from the equator, the higher the risk. However, that's not the whole picture. Some ethnic groups living in countries where there's high risk of getting MS have very low risk. An example would be the Sami people of North Scandinavia and the First Nations in Canada. And the fact that MS is most prevalent in Northern Europe, North America, Australia and New Zealand has led to speculation that it's been carried around the world by European colonists and settlers. It's been suggested that the origins can be traced back to the Vikings who colonized these parts of Northern Europe where MS is most pronounced and that the so-called Viking gene can make people particularly susceptible to MS. Now, I'm a woman and I come from Sweden, so I'm probably the most fitting criteria for having MS, those darn Vikings. eh? But even if it's more common in white people, people of all ethnicities can get MS. And a few months back, Claire and our information team wrote an article about who gets MS and how it may be different between different ethnicities. Hi, Claire. Hi, Helena. Do you think that it's harder for people of colour to get an MS diagnosis because of it being a so-called white
2: condition? I think awareness is a really important factor here. I think the medical professions are starting to realise that MS is something that can happen to anybody. For example, last year, the big MS conference had a big piece about um, about race and MS risk, but perhaps different communities within Britain have different awareness levels of MS. So I think in the UK, we think this is getting better, but there's still a lot of reasons why people from perhaps the Black or South Asian community might get a diagnosis a little bit later on in their MS journey than somebody from a white community.
0: And how about once you do get diagnosed? Is there any difference in experience
2: then? Well, actually, the evidence suggests that there are, is quite a difference in how MS affects Black people, South Asian people, White people, Hispanic people, um, and there's been increasing amounts of research interest in this topic. So, for example, um, Black people with MS tend to have different symptoms to white people they um things like optic neuritis happen to everyone but for people from black communities optic neuritis is more likely to be more severe and leave lasting damage and um, it's also the case that people with ms who are black tend to see their their ms progress to disability faster and also to have more cognitive difficulties and perhaps earlier on in their ms journey than a white person might have so i think we're just beginning to see that there really are you know quite significant differences between how ms um treats how, how ms takes you um depending on your ethnic background but of course ms is such an individual condition that it's really quite tricky to see the trends i think as well
0: so i'm guessing there's going to be
2: more research in this area i think another thing is that the impact of MS can be worse on people from different communities for reasons completely unconnected to the MS itself. So because there's a lot of general inequality in society, the impact of having MS could be worse for somebody from a black or minority ethnic group. So for example, we know that um, people from ethnic minority groups or black people in Britain tend to be employed in more physically demanding roles or public facing roles, which means that the impact of any kind of disability would be much more significant for them compared to somebody who can sit on a chair in an office, perhaps. So that means that they might be more likely to lose their job or have to retire earlier. And that needs to a knock on effect and financial security. So, you know, the impact of MS is different on different communities as well.
0: Uh, so you said that we can get sort of different conditions for what well, different symptoms of ms in a different manner from different ethnicities is there any difference when it comes to um, treatment and
2: especially um, um, specifically with ms treatment so there's a there's quite a range of different treatments for ms now and and obviously getting the right treatment is an individual choice and it's about a, having a conversation with your neurologist and your MS team and making the right medical choice for you. Um, but the, this um, there is certainly breaking evidence that different some of the different disease-modifying treatments are more effective in black people than white people and some are more effective in white people than black people. And I think that's led to a concern that perhaps clinical trials haven't been if it hasn't been evenly spread in terms of um, checking the effectiveness of these treatments on all different populations and part of the population. So, for example, um, the research that was that came out last year showed that the beta interferon types of disease-modifying drug were less effective in um, African Americans compared to Hispanic Americans and Caucasian Americans. And they also found in that same study that capaxone and the glatiramer acetate kind of drugs are less good, less effective at um, dealing with white people's MS. So, you know, it is really, it is really tricky. And I think, given that the risks of progression and disability are worse for people from minority ethnic groups, it might well be taking a slightly different approach to how you, how, how you kind of face treatment. Um, I mean, compared to watching and waiting, you might have a different might have a different view about how long it is appropriate to wait before starting an effective treatment in people of different um, ethnic groups.
0: Hopefully we will see more research into this field and we'll keep on reporting on it. And now over to Emma, who will be talking to
1: Natalie. In the UK, October marks Black History Month. First celebrated here in 1987, Black History Month encourages people to share, celebrate, and understand the impact of Black heritage and culture. But what about the role Black heritage and culture play in life with MS? Today I'm speaking with Natalie from the Black MS Foundation to find out more. Hi, Natalie, it's lovely to have you here today. And thank you for coming along to speak with us. So do you want to start off by talking a bit about your own MS journey and sort of your diagnosis and things?
3: Okay, yeah, sure. So um, I was, um, so I have relapsing remitting MS and I was diagnosed, uh, I believe, it was in 2011. 2011, 2010, I always forget. <laughs> um, and uh, I was, yeah, I, I leading up to my diagnosis, I had um, things like uh, optic neuritis. That was my first um, signal or symptom. And that led me to my doctors, which led me to the hospital, which led me to doing lots of tests and eventually I was diagnosed with um, MS and then my yeah my journey started then so that was 11 years 11 years. So did you find that
1: um, your diagnosis from sort of initial symptoms to getting the MS
3: diagnosis was quite quick or was it a longer journey? Um, It was I mean I (laughs) I didn't have anyone else's journey to compare it to at the time. Um, So at the time, I think it took, I think it was six months to a year, I think I had been for the diagnosis because I kept getting tests for other things. Um, Initially, when I had optic neuritis and I went to my GP, I was sent to Moorfield Eye Hospital and um, they did some tests and obviously, they, when you know they can't see anything if they look in your eye, uh, but so I had to have um, a scan for that. Uh, I went back to the scan results, and the um, the doctor there told me that. So from your your scan, we see some patches um, in your head. Uh, he said that you. Um, he said that this actually looks like it might be MS uh and he said this these were his words he said um you can go and get this checked out at your hospital as a referral um but you don't have to uh if you don't want to um it's totally up to you um and so i was already being seen at my hospital for um a separate uh heart condition and uh when I was at my next hospital appointment for that I had mentioned they keep all my notes for everything else and so uh they saw the notes and they said oh the neurology department is next door um we'll send you to them to follow up on these this what's happened with your your eye and so it started from there really and I went to the neurology department I got loads of tests for different things like uh Lupus. Um, I can't remember the, the other name of the other stuff, but so many things. And then I developed symptoms of a uh, left leg weakness, uh, um, and uh, so that by the time I had gone to my neurologist after having MRI scans and loads of different things, um, they uh, the neurologist said that we see uh, from the MRI you've got these uh, the lesions on your brain. We you see uh the optic neuritis. Now that you were coming in we're talking about your left leg weakness, and um, they can confirm that this that actually this what this is is multiple sclerosis. And um and then yes, and then I got referred to my a community nurse and given an appointment to go back to the hospital. Um, but it took a while. Yeah. So it was quite frustrating, but got there in the end. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: can imagine oh, it'd be quite frustrating I guess it's a good job that they followed through in the end if you say that you know the doctor was originally like oh well it's up to you if you have a look into this or
3: not yeah yeah I think when I look back on that now um I've said it before and I'll say that I, I think that was that was pretty bad um if you see something like that it's uh, it should be an instant referral not it's up to you if they think you they they suspect that it's MS so um yeah it's a, always think that how that was um that was that was not too not too not too great
1: <laughs> yeah yeah definitely especially when it's sort of they're the expert in that field at the end of the day aren't mm, they? absolutely yeah so um so when you were diagnosed what sorts of information and resources were you initially given and did you um go to other places to find out more information about ms
3: so when I was told at more feels that it they suspect it might be MS after the optic neuritis I did do some googling <laughs> um which is not the best thing to do but I, I googled and um yeah and then I saw loads of different things come up um so then when I when the neurologist told me um at my hospital that that this is MS I remember that's all I remember him saying. I remember him saying, um, so you have multiple sclerosis. And then what happens is the, you know, with the myelin, you know, destroys the nerves. And and so I had actually read that in online. And I just I remember when I was reading it online, I I, I remember thinking, God, I, I really hope I don't have this. It would be the worst thing in the world. So when he was actually saying it to me. Um, I that's what I remember him saying because I, I just I started crying. It was just pretty devastating, It was extremely devastating, and then all I heard him say was, "You're going to be referred to a nurse, an MS nurse in your community." Um, and then he gave me a letter. I walked out of the hospital, and then I just followed the instructions on the letter. Um, and then I so the resources were just that letter, um, and the information to contact the nurse. Or the nurse will contact me. Can't remember. And then I had a follow up appointment at the hospital. And um, so those were the only resources. It was a big resource, obviously, because it's an, an MS nurse, um, and that was helpful. But that that was that was the only thing at the time.
1: Yeah. And have you managed to see your MS nurse quite a lot, especially recently, or is that something you've struggled with?
3: No, I haven't seen my MS nurse for a very long time. Um, not, not the community nurse. I think they're phasing them out, or I don't know, there seems to be an issue there. But um, I, I see, a, I have a consultant at the hospital who I'm told is an MS nurse, MS specialist, that I see if I have any, who I contact if I have any issues. I've never seen her as an MS nurse because she's not in a blue uniform in my community. You know, so she's at, at the actual hospital um, that I see. Uh, I contact if I need any um, help, if I have any questions. So she is extremely helpful and, and a, a go-between between myself and the neurologist. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm, yeah, I've, I've, I'm, yeah I've, uh, the nurse, MS nurse is at the beginning of my journey with the medication and stuff like that and um, advice have been have been helpful yeah definitely um
1: so obviously you mentioned that you were um quite upset when you first got your diagnosis did you tell friends and family about your MS and when you talked to them what were some of their reactions
3: Oh wow! Um, so my mom was the first person I told because uh, I had I went straight from the hospital, um, from the diagnosis to her, to her house, um, and I I remember I was I was so upset I I couldn't even talk and I um, was telling her and she went What's wrong What's wrong And I handed her the letter and. Um, because in my head I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die, I'm, <laughs> my life is over, What's, you know, just, everything is just um, ruined. But my mum my has uh, had cancer three times and been in remission three times, so she's pretty much the strongest woman that I know. And so when I handed her the letter and she read it, she was like, Natalie, you're not going to die, it's fine, and sit down and um, – so we kind of got myself together, and we just spoke about it. So my mom was the first person, and that was her reaction. So if she's telling me I'm going to be fine, then as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> um, I told my friends, uh, and yeah, and it was having to explain what MS was when I didn't really know what it was myself at the time, but uh yeah it was a lot of explaining um but the responses were um were were fine if they weren't I didn't have any um quite, they were supportive should I say in a nutshell <laughs> so yeah that's nice and then um have you sort of
1: gone on a learning journey together I suppose as you've learned more have you told your friends and family a bit more about MS or how's that developed
3: I, I think if anything they've done their own research as to what 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 it is um I don't really get a lot of questions from them um and now at this stage I've had it for 11 years and they'll ask me how I am every now and again uh and which is nice because I I don't know I, I think when you've had something for so long people either they don't see it or um, unless you're having relapse, or you're not too well um, from from it. But so when I when I am asked, how's your MS? How how's your health? How's your, How are you doing?" It's actually quite nice. And um, and so I'll yeah. And so it's just it's just been uh, quite supportive. And um, in terms of them learning, they I've they've done their own research. And if they I, only a couple of times have they asked me you know exactly what does that mean um I guess I don't want to be too intrusive and in, in kind of having me do all that work when I'm actually you know kind of um going through it which is um not easy <laughs> so, yeah yeah
1: yeah you've got to get that balance right haven't you of them wanting to look into it themselves and obviously you you feeling like you're supported by them but at the same time yeah they they've looked into it
3: <clears throat> yeah Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, So it wasn't that long ago that people considered multiple sclerosis to be sort of a Caucasian or a white person's disease. And unfortunately, some of those stereotypes and misinformation still exist today. Is that something that you've found a challenge since you were first diagnosed, especially?
3: Since I was first diagnosed, yes. Uh, I, I do believe that that was one of the factors in why my diagnosis took so long just in terms of me being tested for everything but MS um I guess it was the assumption oh it's not that common in black people uh, so you know so you, you you don't look like you'd be the typical person to get this so it we must it must be something else um so so yeah and and that I've that that um story i've heard a lot I, I had it in my head for a while but now when i'm meeting more uh black people and people of color with ms i just hear that story over and over again um just versus uh non-black people i i yeah so with that i think that's so yeah there is a, a difference between uh, um when you say you know it being a white person's stereotypically a white person's conditional disease versus blacks but those are that's one of the challenges yeah
1: in terms of that as well obviously recently you've been doing some really good work in the black ms community sort of raising awareness um, of the condition uh, what are the sort of challenges you face within the black ms community when it comes to talking about multiple sclerosis
3: what are the challenges um, i don't i can't think of any it's, it's a lot of positives um because I think people within the black community with MS feel like they're not seen a lot or heard a lot Um, so if there's a space where it's just we're we're just all there and we we all have MS then it's like ah, you know so it, it brings about a lot of um conversation a lot of um emotions and a lot of positive um it's a positive space you know for people to feel like they can they can say what they want to say and how they feel about having a condition um, it's definitely a safe and um, space I wouldn't say that there's any I, I can't think of any challenges that come to mind that's really
1: good as well. I think one of the big things isn't it is about people feeling like there's someone who has a similar experience or is going through something similar right. to them and obviously, yeah, like you say, the the Black MS Foundation are a, a good place for people to come together and feel like there are people who are going through something similar to them.
3: Yeah, I think it's like in any other space when you have MS, so you have women with MS. Um, we we have women versus men have a lot of um, issues with MS that 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 men don't have, you know. And um, so it's always nice to speak to other women or be in a space with other women and um, to talk about those experiences that i i guess men wouldn't understand or that they don't experience and vice versa with men women and children and women you know so it's um there's a lot of different spaces that people um within ms or different groups of people that are very important to be uh to have that focus on and um, specifically you yeah.
1: Um, so we touched a little bit on uh, your work with the Black MS Foundation. Can you just tell some of our listeners who might not have heard of um, them before what the Black MS Foundation is and what they sort of do?
3: Okay, so first of all, we're well, very new. Um, it's it's an Instagram page and it's a space for um, that I set up because initially I wanted to... Uh, meet other people um, like myself who have MS and the same experiences because I wasn't really um, finding that around me or if I went online or or within uh, different organisations that set up um, for MS, finding, um, so I set the page up that reason (laughs) so I could find those people and um so it's and and lots of people started finding the page and um it's grown in popularity and it's uh just just it's kind of grown its own legs and um I started it in it was November December last year and uh, it's grown into something that will eventually now become a Charity um, community organization offline, um, and um, I'm trying to think. So it's going to be that offline. So not just an Instagram page. I'm going to have a website and um, doing uh, lots of other uh, things. Just, just to show, just to raise awareness, basically. So the Black MS Foundation is a platform. Uh, to raise awareness by and for people uh, who are of colour, who have multiple sclerosis. And it's a space where we can um, get support, talk, be inspired, meet each other, and um, to kind of build um, our own kind of, um, our own spaces and, and things uh, you know, um that, that's going to be helpful on our MS journeys. Yeah. Um, and if anyone's sort of listening and
1: they're interested to find out more about stuff, um, some of the things that the Black MS Foundation does and getting involved mm-hmm. with that, how do they go about that?
3: So you can go to the Instagram page that's um it's at Black MS Foundation. Um the website is blackmsfoundation.org and it's soon to be launched. Um that's uh really exciting about that and so far that's it um it's and it's just me so I have to emphasize that (laughs) it's just me doing it there's nobody else uh behind what you see and so I'm in the process of finding people to help um I've just uh, recently found trustees for the um charity uh and um yeah, it's it's all still very new, it's very um in program, it's the beginning of a journey or something that I hope will be helpful to many people who have MS.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like a lot of work for you, but definitely something very exciting and I'm sure it will all be worth it.
3: Yeah, I hope so. I hope
1: so. <laughs> Um, and then obviously, unfortunately, you do get the cynical people out there. So you get it with, you know, the Asian MS group. Um, like you say, there's people, um, just women with MS who will face different experiences as opposed to men with MS. Um, and then you, obviously the Black MS Foundation. For the people, some people might say, you know, why do black people with MS need their own group? Um, why do you think it's important for that community to have their own space?
3: Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, I get messages a lot from people asking that question, because um, they don't seem to understand. Um, okay, I'm trying to, what's the, the best way to answer this in a very simple way for everybody to understand? Because I think um, after me answering this, people are still not going to understand. So I'm not I'm not here to justify or do anything like that um, as to why um, this space is there. This space is there for people who, for, for Black people and people of color who have multiple sclerosis. It's a, a space where we can come together um, with our similar and unique experiences because we do have unique experiences with our multiple sclerosis. Um, it's a place for us to see people that look like ourselves. Um, it's a safe space for us to be, so we can um, say how we feel um, in a way that's not going to be attacked. Yeah, which is so often, um, <coughs> sorry, um, which so often uh, happens. But just as there is um, groups out there for women with a mess, just like there are groups out there for men with a mess. For children with MS, because of those specific reasons, there is a space for um, now for black people who have MS. And if you don't have a problem with those other groups, um, I'm just not sure why you would have a problem with um, or question our group because it's specifically for black people. Um, But it happens a lot. It happens with, it's not just uh, with medical conditions and, and that I think for some reason historically when um, black people do choose to make their own um, their own platforms and spaces um, so we can focus on ourselves and for our own well-being, it, it quite often is questioned and challenged and attacked unfortunately but um, but it's but regardless of that it's um, Black MS Foundation is there and it will remain and hopefully will grow to be something um like I said that's really helpful for um for us who have MS in that position so yeah
1: Yeah, that's really good answer thank you so um recently we've seen people like uh, Kadina Cox and her incredible achievements at the Paralympics as well as on Celebrity MasterChef and um it's those sort of people that have really helped to raise awareness of MS. Who are some of the people that you found in the uh, sphere of sort of multiple sclerosis that you think are really great ambassadors and doing some good work?
3: You know what? I i I think um, that's one of the first things people do when they're diagnosed. They look for like celebrities who have it because I guess people seem to relate more to them um, sometimes. Um, so... <clears throat> Your question, so yeah, my brain fog. <laughs> um, who do I think? Uh, you know what? I, I outside of celebrities, um, honestly, I, I look at everyday people who have MS, like normal people walk the streets every day. Um, I think to me, they're the most um, uh, inspirational and. Uh, Kind of encouraging people, and and they're the the people that I think make the best ambassadors, because it's it's not um they're not in front of a TV screen, you know they're not um trying to promote anything that this is just their lives, and they get up every day and they have no choice but to um have you know have to to live to to face these challenges and to just go through it, and I think those are the best ambassadors that you can find so I always look for people um like that you know who are and who are who are I don't want to say suffering but who are going through um these challenges with MS every day. who we're living normal lives and this but they're just still going every day you know and they're just not giving up so those are absolutely the the best ambassadors um I think and better than celebrities <laughs> actually <laughs>
1: yeah yeah. that's a really lovely answer actually I never thought about it like that but no that's really nice yeah um so what are some sort of looking forward I suppose what are some of the things that people um can do to be better allies both as individuals and also um for organizations like us at the MS Trust
3: so what is to be better allies and um I think it's just being supportive uh and understanding and sometimes those things don't need comments or they don't need um, your input or your opinion and um, it just needs you to lend an ear to listen and um, so that I've always thought that being an ally, that's a really good way to be an ally um, that's how I would be an ally to something that I didn't didn't fully that I don't fully understand but I see someone going through it. And so you, you have to listen, you know, and acknowledge uh, the feelings and the experiences that someone's going through, whether you whether you experience that or, or understand that or not. You know, so I think that's that's always the best way. Um, that's also a way you can be supportive. For um, organisations such as yourself I think um there needs to be more understanding um I think there needs to be uh, a, a stepping back and just looking at what's going on um and, and how things have been going on and and I'm um, saying okay this we've not done so great in this area we've probably not paid any attention at all in this area <laughs> or done enough you know um and so looking back and listening to people's experiences and just thinking, you know, well, what can we do? Um, and, and maybe just having that be the question, what can we do? How can we help? Um, and, you know, what do you feel would be the best way to kind of go about this? I think in organisations like the MS Trust, I, you, you, you need, I, I don't know how your organisation is set up, but I, I do feel like if you're a charity organisation and you're working for the people and not every um, section or segment of those people are have, a light, have an equal light shined on them, I think there needs to be people um, in your organisation of colour <laughs> um, who are able to relate to those um, Those people that are not being seen as much. Um, There needs to be somebody in your organisation to say, "Look, um, this is what this means. You know, um, this is how is the best way to communicate. This is what you need to be bringing in." And you know, and because I I think that I think it's you have you have a certain generation who are uh, out there. It's and it tends to be older older white men <laughs> at the top of every organization I think, <laughs> within every area you seem to be setting the rules and the standards and running things and ordering and saying this is how things are going to go and it just it, for years people have just followed this kind of structure and it, it develops into these systems right so um it's those systems that need to kind of be kind of broken into and say look it, this isn't working um because doing it this way you're not Actually, um, acknowledging this group of people, and so they're not being seen and they're not being helped. So you and so yeah, I could go on about that forever, but it's uh, you. It's um, just being supportive by listening, um, asking. You know, uh, how can you help? Um, and having m- more representation within organisations. For people that look like the people are trying to help, and it's the same with having more women at the top, having more people from the LGBT um, plus community at the top, um, having more Asian people at the top, having more people with the actual disability at the top, you know, and kind of focusing so they can they know how to focus on that to bring that to the forefront to actually start doing the work to help be better allies and be more supportive and um, raise more awareness and so we can help everybody not just um, some yeah so
1: brilliant thank you yeah I think that's really important obviously you don't want to help just the people who shout the loudest or you know have the the most sort of center stage voice you want to help everyone and that's kind of the whole point
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um. So, looking at you personally now, how have your own views um changed since your MS diagnosis? Is there sort of perhaps anything you've learned as a result um of life with MS, or maybe since setting up the Black MS Foundation, that's sort of had an impact on the way you live
3: now? It's quite a big question. I, I think um I've gone gone through quite a journey with my MS. Um, I've gone from it being the most devastating thing to this day that's ever happened to me, my diagnosis, um, to looking at it like this may be the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, and I, I say that because I think anyone who has had any type of diagnosis that, especially one that has no cure and it has, can have such a... Um, a devastating effect on your body uh, i think you learn more about appreciation you're more grateful for um things that you may not have been as grateful for as before um, you look at the smaller things in life you accept um uh you stop I- accepting um as much stress in your life <laughs> um so, yeah, I, I think in terms of my, myself, how it's changed me and the effect it's had on me personally. Um, it's made me a lot more grateful for my life. It's made me feel like I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, and uh, so let me do the best I can today um, for myself and the people around me. Um, and, um, yeah, just and and do what I love. My favourite, one of my my favorite film not one of my favorite films my favorite film ever is The Pursuit of Happiness and um, the film of Will Smith and so I always look at that film like it's just that pursuit right of um only what you, what you love and doing what's gonna mean the most to you and so that's how I try and live my life I just I and it's obviously in this world it's not easy but because of my diagnosis um it's kind of put an unpredictability on my life so I just really focus on what's going to make me the happiest um and just doing just just doing what I love it's a it's a long-winded answer but um it's it's I'm I'm grateful for my uh MS for putting my mind and my heart in that direction to live my life like that so it's um I'm trying to bring about the positives of MS of my diagnosis yeah so (laughs) um
1: so just finishing up with one last question then what one piece of advice would you give to someone else who is newly diagnosed with MS
3: my goodness (laughs) um I would say to get what advice would I say I would say First breathe, <laughs> um, if you need to cry, cry, if you need to get angry, get angry, go through all of the emotions that you need to go through. But then just um, really try to get uh, as much information as possible about the diagnosis that you have been given. Um, don't Google, <laughs> you know. um, go to organizations such as yourselves the MS Trust and the other, um, organizations set up for, for MS, um, and go through that, um, surround yourself with your support system, be it your family, your friends, and, um, just, just, just go from there, your life is not over, it may seem like it, um, but just, um, go for whatever emotions you want that you go through and then go from there. I'm not going to say be strong, you know, and don't cry because people, you're human, right? You're going to do those things. Don't listen to that nonsense. Feel what you want, what you need to feel and go through that process. And then, then start going through the process of um, informing yourself and getting the right um, information about your condition and then surround yourself with, with love. Um, get therapy if you need to you know that's a big thing (laughs) with ms and um and then just go from there you'll be you'll be fine you're gonna be okay you know and life isn't over so yeah
1: that's brilliant um thank you so much for speaking with us today natalie
3: and thank you for asking me
0: to come in and speak now if this was a commercial podcast here is where there would be an advert but as we're a charity, we don't do that. So instead, we'd like to take this opportunity to tell you all about our fantastic resources for people with MS.
1: Our website, which is mstrust.org.uk, has tons of information and resources for people affected by multiple sclerosis, including those caring for people with the condition. In our A to Z of MS, we also have an entry called how common is multiple sclerosis, where you can read more about who gets MS. We've also popped the links to this and Claire's article in our episode notes. Right, and
0: we're back. Um, that was interesting. The chat you had with uh, Natalie, Emma.
1: I think it was sort of uh, interesting to hear about different people's experiences of MS, and obviously, um, as Claire mentioned in her section earlier about how um, MS affects different communities differently.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, as a, a as a person who would like to see themselves as an as an ally, I think it's what she was saying about you know, that it's actually time for for white people to listen and and sort of take take notice and let people of color speak now and and talk about it and I think that's that's sort of what we need to be doing now as a as an MS organization as well and Claire still with us Um, we wanted to talk to her a little bit about what we're doing as an organization to try and make sure that everybody's voice is heard.
2: Yeah I completely agree with Natalie now is the time for us to be listening and making sure that we can get some of those quieter voices that have not traditionally been very well well heard, make sure that people from ethnic minority groups um, and all sorts of other different protected characteristic communities in the UK can, can get involved, you know, can help us plan what we do, can help us review our strategy and our content and help us really make sure that we are being welcoming as an organisation so that we can be here for everybody who has MS in the UK but also that we represent everybody with MS in the UK and represent their views and their experiences that we are focused on the on the kind of issues that matter to them and 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 yeah as you said make sure that those quieter voices are heard so yeah, as a big part of that recognition uh, we've set up an inclusion and involvement panel and we're recruiting for it right now and so that you you can find the you can find the application form on the website and it'll also be covered in the notes I expect but if you're interested in doing that if you're interested in making sure that we hear from people who are from a black community from an um, Asian or other ethnic group in the UK or from people with different and gender assignment or sexuality or disability levels you know there's a lot of people whose experiences have not fully been validated and not fully been explored and ex- and um, and presented and we want to really do what we can to redress that balance so I would invite anybody that feels that they would like to get involved to fill in the form it, we will be recruiting a small number of people for the panel but there's going to be lots and lots that you can help with even if we don't even if we don't choose you for the panel you know there's lots and lots of fundraising and volunteering and other ways that you can get involved with and I think that will be the first step towards making sure that we are a truly inclusive organization
0: yeah and we're always looking for personal stories or people to talk to um for the podcast as well so please get in touch because we do certainly want to make everyone's voice heard
1: now remember that if you have any questions about MS, we're here for you. Our inquiry service is available Monday to Friday, except UK bank holidays, and that's from 9am to 5pm. Outside of these hours, you're welcome to leave us a message and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. You can call us on 0800 032 3839 or email ask at
0: mstrust.org.uk. And you can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, And you can find this podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. Get in touch. And like they say, like and subscribe. And we want to say a big thank you to Anne Chapman Audio for the music of this podcast.